Welcome to Unshushed, a podcast for teachers, librarians, and lovers of YA. I'm Erin, a middle school librarian, and today I'm going to discuss It's Girls Like You, Mickey by Patty Kim. And I'm Katrina Zanier, the librarian at Victor Lakes Intermediate, and today I'll be discussing What I Carry by Jennifer Longo. Hey, I'm Darcy Burrows. I'm an intermediate librarian, and I'll be talking about The Black Flamingo by Dean Atta. I'm Laura Gladney-Lemon. I'm a high school librarian, and I'm going to be talking about We Are Not From Here by Ginny Torres Sanchez, but I'm also going to be giving a special shout out to one of my only fantasy books that I've ever read and liked, The Shadows Between Us by Trisha Levenseller. And I am Shirley. I work at Clear Lake High School Librarian, and my book today is called Rebel of the Sands by Alwyn Hamilton. Hi, and I'm Mindy Hutt. I'm going to talk about All These Monsters by Amy Tintera. I'm going to kick us off by talking about What I Carry by Jennifer Longo. It's about Muriel, a 17-year-old girl who has been in foster care since birth. It is now her senior year of high school, and she's about to age out of the system. Her character's journey and the book both begin with an understanding to always be ready to leave. Her candor in this book, this is not a story about abuse or neglect. She just has a vision of aging out and being free. It begins at the very first page with, you will never in all your life meet a person who backs a better suitcase than I do. And I'll tell you right now, the secret is not organization, it's simplification. Get rid of your crap. Do not own things in the first place. Surrender the weight of what you carry and the wild, wide world is yours. She has this constant conversation about not carying too much. She only has enough clothes that can fit in her suitcase. She wears the same thing every single day. She doesn't buy new clothes. And this story begins with her kind social worker has come and said, I found the last placement for you. Please just get through high school. Your senior year here, and then you can be gone. But this is your 20th uh, placement in all of her years. And so she goes to this last one, and she's not really positive that she's going to last. She's not in the city. She's a ferry ride from Seattle, and she's surrounded by trees. And her name is Muriel, which actually was given to her by the nurses at the John Muir Hospital that found her. So she doesn't even know who her parents were or her mother was. Um, they gave her Muriel, and so she's always kind of had this inclination to love or be interested in John Muir, who was the father of wilderness and protector of national parks. And so she ends up getting a job at this Salishwood Environmental Education Center. And it's there that she's able to deal with kids and hike and really connect to nature and do all the walking that she wants. And she, of course, she meets a quirky friend who also, you know, bucks the system, so to speak, and a, a guy who you kind of wish your daughter would date. He's just an all-around great guy. He is. You know, I don't want to tell you all the things that happen, but um, it's a gorgeous book about really about the emotional baggage that we all carry and the strength to allow other people to kind of take some of that baggage away from us and carry it for us. But you have to be willing to let them take some of those items. And she has some symbolic items that she does carry in her suitcase that you see as she kind of goes through and she changes and grows throughout the book that um, you, you kind of see that the power that we all have, each of us, and it's set in the foster care system, which I really didn't know a lot about, but it was a, an opportunity. I was talking about this book and a student said, I'm, I'm a foster kid. And so she took the book and she wanted to read it. And she said, it's like me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. 
Did you read at the end the um her author's notes when she? Yes, I forgot. Yes, I forgot. that was because I read this book during lockdown, and I don't even remember why I ordered it. It's something about it jumped out at me because I. I don't know this author. The cover's beautiful. The cover and, is very gorgeous. Yeah, and I loved it when I got to the end and I read her notes. I was like, oh, I love this book even more now. So she, she said in her end notes, because I have it now, she says, my daughter asked me to write this book. She was born into the foster system. And so right there, you just automatically get, she said she did interviews so that she would understand because it wasn't her story, but her daughter asked her to write I thought it was a gorgeous book and it, it wasn't about abuse and, you know, the things that we think foster care system is about. It really was about her perception and her belief that she would be better off. Alone. Well, I love that she wrote it for her daughter. Uh, I know we just don't know who who's dealing with what, you know, we talk about that all yeah. the time. We have no idea. And to have a book that you can put in someone's hands, you know, it may not be their story, but they may find pieces of it that they relate to. And it sounds like it's a beautiful story. But yes, also, you know, the, the idea of letting other people carry things for us. And that's important too. being willing to, to give up a little bit of control to let others help you. Well, she had little things in her in her pillowcase and they were really small. Like one was one of those um, hex keys. Mm -hmm. And because it was a symbol of, of something that she when she was in foster care and they were making the beds and that was the wrench that they used. Oh, wow. And so she has weird little things like that that she has accumulated and just kind of hearing her talk about it and what they meant. And then seeing how she changes and grows throughout the book was, I, I cried. I thought it was a gorgeous book. I did cry. I love the correlation too, with the nature and being out and then her name and all that kind of stuff. I love when uh, artists or authors are smart about stuff like that. I, uh -huh. You know, where you know that that name came from somewhere. That's really cool. So that book also led me to start thinking about in my library, I have a graphic novel that I think I got from Junior Library Guild because I don't remember picking this book out. And it is about John Muir and his relationship with nature and all of that. And so after I finished this book, three things happened. One, maybe I cried. I did. I picked up that graphic novel and decided to read it because I knew I had it, had never really had a desire to read it. But then I thought, oh, well, let me look more into this guy and her namesake. And, you know, again, it's a book that makes me do research on other things. And then I sent that book to one of my friends who's a teacher in Little Rock. We've been friends since undergrad and she is about to become a foster mom Aww. to like a 10, 11 year old girl. Like, you know, I know this isn't necessarily going to be her story, but this woman wrote this story for her daughter who was a foster child and you know, librarians always figuring out who they can put the books in the hands of. Right. Exactly. That's I had cool. to get this book back from the girl today. I said, can I just borrow it for like 30 minutes and then I'll give her right back to you. I, I'm looking forward to reading that and crying because that will definitely happen as well. I just actually read an article the other day about a girl who was 17 and she had been in 23 different placements, I believe. And she just was adopted. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's awesome. So, uh, and I read a, I've read, of course, about this little boy who his only wish is that he's adopted before he's 18 so that he has a family. And you're just like, oh, you know, the idea that they think that there's an end point to that, you know, and, and after that, you're creating your own family 
uh, versus just having a family to rely on and what that must mean for them. And that happens mm-hmm. a lot. A lot of kids in the foster system age out uh, yeah, with right. no adult. I think um, they talked about some magical, like, age of three. Like, if you are not adopted by three every year, your percentage or likelihood of being adopted is less and less and less every single year. And also the statistics show, you know, um, children of color are less likely to be adopted. Children with special needs are less likely to be adopted. Um, Basically what people are really looking for, young children without problems, preferably white. Yep. Yeah. That leaves a lot of people out. So Carol actually mentioned to me, in fact, when he first started talking about foster care, um, she read a book over the weekend, like, she's like, I, I couldn't put it down. My eyes were getting blurry. Also about foster care system called In Another Life by C.C. Hunter. Um, I haven't read it, but she could not recommend it strongly enough. If anybody's trying to put a little uh, foster care reading list together or some book matches together, that might be a good one because she read it over the weekend and just loved it. It was a mystery. That's cool. But she said it's a lot mystery. realistic. <laughs> I think most of my uh, realistic life is pretty mysterious. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going on half the time. What did you read, Erin? I read a book called It's Girls Like You, Mickey by Patty Kim. I have a lot to say about it. I picked it up because it was a new book and I thought, it was, I don't know, there was something about it that I wanted to read, but then two things about it that I didn't want to read. Once I started reading it, I realized that it's a companion novel to her other book called, and it's currently checked out, so I can't go in and read it and tell how the name is pronounced, but the other book is either called I'm Okay or I'm Ock, but I think when you're looking at the title on the shelf, you're supposed to read it as I'm Okay, but at one point, Mickey mentions her friend who moved away and talks about his name and says that it rhymes with this. So Mickey is, Mickey is in seventh grade. Mickey's best friend, I think his name is pronounced Auk, but I can't read the first book yet because it's checked out, has moved away. And Mickey's best friend who moved away was Korean. So Patty Kim, the author is Korean and Patty Kim is her chosen name. Um, There's a whole lot on her name if you read about her on teachingbooks.net. Mickey's kind of, she's a little bit of a loner because she just doesn't care. Like, Mickey ain't trying to impress anybody. Mickey's dad is a trucker who sort of abandoned them. Her mom is working the graveyard shift at a toll booth and they can barely make ends meet. Her mom smokes. Mickey doesn't like this and doesn't mind expressing to her mama that she doesn't like it and she needs to give it up. And this new kid starts her school called Sunju. And Mickey goes and introduces herself and like, oh, well, let me show you the ropes of this school. And she can tell from listening to Sunju's parents on her first day that they're also Korean. She says, well, my best friend was Korean. And so your family is, and I'm going to be your new friend now. They become really good friends until there's a little bit of some other girls end up befriending Sunju, and there kind of becomes a struggle with who is Sunju going to be friends with, and why does she befriend these other girls? It was a decent little coming-of-age story. It was sweet but thoughtful. I loved Mickey. She's bold and 
like she starts her period at school and on that day for the first time. And on that day, she is wearing a skirt that she made herself out of a pillowcase and some string because she likes it. And so Sunju was like, oh, Mickey, like, no, you have to tie, you know, your jacket around your waist. And she's like, why? It isn't nothing to be ashamed of. Like, I got my period. All (laughs) girls do. And it turns out Sanju is pretty artistic and helps her out by, like, she takes out her art supplies in the bathroom, tells Mickey to pass her her pillowcase skirt over the door, and she adds some marker and things to it so that it just looks like part of the design. Now, that's a friend. Yes. That's a friend. Right? I love that. So Mickey, she just, she doesn't care. She's got all these ideas and she just like, she walks around. She's like, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to be the person that I know I need to be. And I'm not trying to impress anybody. And I think that's what I really loved about her. I can tell that she was the secondary character from the first book and that this is her story, you know, as it progresses after her best friend moved away. You don't need to read the first book to really understand it. It was cute. It was very middle school. Like I would never have this book on a high school shelf. Two things I didn't like about it. One, I'm kind of tired of the song lyric title. Um, <laughs> but it was I, a fantastic song. I, I, it was. But you know how for a while a lot of titles got like noun of the noun and noun. And I'm like, oh, not reading any noun of the noun and noun books. I feel like a lot of authors have taken like a song lyric and tried to build a story around it. And it just doesn't always seem to work. Like I have read some not very good ones, but I liked this one. The other thing that I did not like about this book is the cover. I do not like the cover at all for the same reason that I do not like the cover of the first rule of punk. And I loved the first rule of punk. It was fantastic. It was a Lone Star list. These books both have characters that are in seventh, eighth grade, whatever. And they look like they were written for nine-year-olds. They do, and I I hate it. Me too. I don't understand why these publishers can't nail a middle school cover. I don't know why it has to be cartoony and like super bright or whatever. I don't, I don't get it. I I don't either. I don't like the cover. It's, it's cartoony and it's kitty looking. Yeah. I agree. Here, here. I just, I don't, I don't understand why these people that are designing book covers can't think about what a seventh, eighth grade kid wants to carry around. Like, well, also, it's such a crucial changing period for them. They are becoming uh, young adults. You know, they are growing and they want to read things that show their growth. And the book, the information in the book isn't childish it's appropriate so let's make an appropriate cover that's appealing to them when they pick up a magazine right now you know when they're wandering through the grocery store or whatever they're not picking up magazines that have cartoons on the front they want real images just like we do for ya and the ya covers have gotten better and better and better for sure they really and i feel like middle school needs that same kind of growth Yeah. I mean, this is a book about her first friend breakup. How many of us have dealt with that in middle school? And she's in seventh grade and it's totally, it's so age appropriate for middle school, but the cover, but Mm. the cover. So maybe when it comes out in paperback, someone will rethink it. I have no idea. I just, I see these covers sometimes and I think, well, no, I'm not going to get anyone to read this one. And it's not like the idea of 
uh, judging a book by its cover is new. Kids do it all the time. They've always been doing it. So I'm not really sure what, why that misses the mark. Well, and you know, that whole don't judge a book by its cover, like, okay, that's an old saying and you know, we know what it means, but book cover design used to not necessarily be a thing. It is someone's job to make that book visually appealing to its intended audience and it's not. You know, even if they read about it or I talked about it and someone gave it a chance, there are some seventh and eighth grade kids that don't want to walk around with a book that looks like that. One thing I think is the publishers are trying to balance between a adult a parent that they're trying to please, but also a parent who might think their child is still a child to them, but the child thinks they're older they're than their grown. parents think they are. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So like I have a 13 year old who thinks she's grown, but I think publishers would have to find a balance on the cover so that it is appropriate for both of us. You know, they have to walk a line, I guess, in all of publishing with the book, but also on the cover, especially to it find is. something that I just feel like working like. in the middle grades, it's, it's hard. It, it's hard. It doesn't seem like a lot of people are doing it right. Books to me often either look very elementary or they look totally secondary it's hard to nail that seventh, eighth grade range. Look, I can't design a book cover, but I can tell you ones that aren't very good. Well, I don't understand why they have to go with any kind of, they don't necessarily need a person on the cover. Right. You right. Know. So, you don't have a picture, right? I mean, you're... This is like right. an image, but it's not I was a person. That yeah. A lot of them now have been, I've noticed that a lot of them are just the uh, title or the, the title and then just some graphics in it. Yeah. So what I carry has a, a beautiful and a key. cover. Right. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. You That's know what else has a beautiful cover, though? I um, do. Hey. Go ahead. Go ahead. Let me hear it, Aaron. Oh, well, real quick, I did want to say that Punching the Air has a beautiful cover, and I'm yes, halfway yes. through it and ha fell asleep reading it last night. So, Laura, thank you uh, because I'm enjoying that one a lot. And what else has a beautiful cover, Darcy? Okay, uh, I the Black Flamingo by Dean Ashwood. Have y'all seen? this cover it is absolutely gorgeous yes. and it had my elementary daughters like what's that what are you reading what's going on who's he and they loved it they loved the cover and both of them wanted to read it even though it's totally ya uh, just because of the cover I, when I was looking it up to put the cover on my library door saying that I was reading it, I found two different covers. So I'm wondering if yes, one of them so is Yes, so there was the an original cover, and I think it was the UK version. Yeah. Mm. And it is not as fierce as the one that we have. No, um, the American one's better. It was a little cartoony. Did I you see so it? Too. It was a little yeah. bit cartoony, and I'm so glad that they released it with a different cover for us because it is absolutely beautiful. There's like um like a golden aura around the guy, and he's he's a cartoon. Well, he's not a cartoon. He's a a drawn image. It's not a real person. So. Uh, it's a drawn image, but there's like this beautiful like aura around him and the feathers. It's absolutely gorgeous, and it's. I think the only way to describe the cover, the book, everything is fierce, and I don't want to overuse the term, but it is so fierce. Like all of it, the writing is amazing. This book is written in verse. 
what I love about doing this podcast with y'all is I keep reaching out and finding new books that are different styles than what I would normally read. I've read more books in verse in the last two, three years than ever before, for sure. Because if you'd asked me before, I'd say, Ugh, I hate poetry. I don't hate poetry. And I don't hate books written in verse. I was forced to read something, I'm sure, in junior high that I was like, oh my God, enough with the rhyming. And these books, they don't rhyme. There's nothing rhymy about them. I love them. And uh, I adored this book. My favorite part of this book is the intersectionality in the main character, Michael. He is half Greek Cypriot, half Jamaican, and growing up in London. Okay, so he's got all of this stuff going on, and then he is confronted kind of constantly with, you know, being black and white, his masculinity and femininity, his maybe being gay, he's, he's going through self-discovery in the book, you know, he, and he's at times thinking, oh, I am gay, but mm, I might be attracted to this woman. What does that mean? And kind of, you know, like developing himself and his feelings and, and discovering who he really is. This book moves from when he's a child, um, maybe like five, six, I don't know, very, very young. And it, you get like, here's a poem for five and here's a poem for six and here's a poem for seven. And you're just kind of moving along through time beautifully. And you don't feel like you're missing out on who he is or how he's developing. You're just getting these little snippets as he grows and develops and the things that are really impactful at those times. He talks about wanting a Barbie and his mom giving him a teenage Ninja Turtle but you see, too, the growth in this mother who's a single, hardworking mother. She goes on to have another child, and then you have that interaction between Michael and his little sister later on as well that's really meaningful because she sees him and accepts him for who he is even before he really knows who he is. There's beauty in that relationship as well. I loved the development of the mother as she goes from thinking she knows what's best for her child to really listening to him and growing with him and then learning to love and accept him as he is. And even the, the, the things that she has to deal with, you know, as a mom, because we all have expectations, you know, of our children and what we think uh, is going to happen. And then, of course, our kids are going to come along and tell us, mm, that's not quite how it's going to go because <laughs> they have their own personalities and lives and beliefs. And so I loved that growth, that relationship, the dynamic between he and his mother. There's one passage. So I'm just going to say I don't have the book in front of me. And that's because as soon as I read it, I knew I had to pass it on to other people. Uh, Y'all had to read this to other uh, librarians in this podcast have read the book because it's amazing. And I knew that y'all, all of us need to read this book. It's fantastic. But anyway, so I don't have the book in front of me, but there's this one verse where he's talking about, like, he's very upset and he goes home to talk to his mother and he just lays down on the floor and he is just like throwing a fit, but like at, I don't know, 13, 14 or something, he's throwing this fit and it's absolutely it's not hilarious, although I did laugh, but I laughed because that was me. The only person I could be completely dramatic with like this was my mom, right? And I knew she was going to listen, and then she's going to be like, 
all right, Darcy, like stepping over me to continue doing whatever it is she was doing in the house, you know, <laughs> even as I'm laid out on the floor, like, you don't understand. She's like, yeah, yeah, I don't, but what are we having for dinner? You know? So I loved that part of it. I loved that relationship with his mom and that he was able to just lay himself out there to shed all the tears that he needed to and get out the emotion that he had and the upset. And she just kept on with her, her day, not, not ignoring him, but like, as a mom does. I, it felt very authentic, that, that interaction. But when you really find out about this character is when he goes to university and he goes to Brighton, which has a larger than average gay population, which I thought was smart. Here he is. He gets to choose what university he's going to go to. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to explore this side of me more. I want to be more myself. Am I going to be Mikey or am I going to be Mike, you know, rather than Michael? And I think that we've all done that, maybe gone to a new place and decided we were going to be a different person. I definitely did that when I went to high school. I was like, there's going to be new folks. I'm going to be a new Darcy. They don't know me. I'm going to be a different person than who they think I am, whatever, you know, and then I got the to do that again. To start that, over. Right. And university is a great place to do that. So he does. And I loved they have all these different clubs. And so he's like, do I go to, what was it like Afro-Caribbean club? Mm -hmm. And he finds that he doesn't quite feel black enough for that. And, you know, he goes to the Hellenic club and he doesn't quite feel Greek enough for that. And all I'm going to say is he finds a club that fits him beautifully. And then you see this development in him. And I have to tell you, whether you read the book or not, you've got to go online and look up him reading. He does a spoken word of how to come out as gay. It is so beautifully done. I saw two different versions. There's one that where he's just reading it. I think it's on the urge or something like that. Maybe it's a Facebook. You can see it through Facebook or whatever. The other one that I saw him read was on YouTube and he's got on like this amazing feather shirt is so cute. Anyway, but he interjects things into his spoken word that are autobiographical, you know, his ideas about what he was saying at that time. And I am a huge proponent for people feeling like they don't have to come out. You just are who you are. You live your life as you live. You don't owe me an explanation. You don't owe me a phone call. I didn't need to know before you announced anyone else who you are. Just be who you are. And so the first line is, you know, like how to come out as gay. And, and he said, don't, if you don't want to, you know, I absolutely adored it. And I loved his delivery of it too. So I highly recommend that you go online and find a version of him doing spoken word of, the, of this poem. It's beautiful. Or, so I had to listen to it because the copy that I was expecting did not get delivered in enough time for me to have Dang, it. Dang, inner office mail. <laughs> I know. But good news is with this new Sora app that we are using for our books, our eBooks and audiobooks. We have access to this. I actually, I have it in my phone right now, but I was going to return it as soon as we are done with this podcast. It is Dean Atta reading the book. So oh, while I do good. feel like I lost a little bit of this novel in verse by listening to it, because I get a lot out of where an author chooses to 
break lines and start new stanzas absolutely arrange the words on the page um again reading punching the air right now there's a lot of scribbles on the page that i've really enjoyed and part of the whole novel and verse thing for me is visual and I, i miss being able to look at the book but i did enjoy hearing the author read this book in his own voice. And it's not like someone else's interpretation. It's what Dean Otto wanted Michael to sound like. And at the end, when he is going through that big giant list, don't think my Louisiana heart did not like make some out loud noises when he mentioned Big Frida. Yeah. (laughs) Big Frida, (laughs) New Orleans bounce. I was like, what? Big Frida. And so, um, you know, that part spoke to my soul a little bit, but I enjoyed listening to it, but it is a book that I want to look at at whenever it arrives here, maybe later today. (laughs) I love all things British anyway. So hearing somebody read this in a British accent and then his particular British accent. Oh my God. Yeah. So that's why I, I loved listening to him with his spoken word. When I, every time I go to England or Scotland, I'm just like, talk to me. And it's funny because they're like, you talk to me because they want to hear a Texan accent. And I'm like, I'm not really the best Texan for this, but I can try. We can do a little yeehaw and all that, you know. Okay. Look, I just returned it so someone else can go borrow it. It's really good. It's Y'all need to get on, on it. audio. So one of the things that resonated with me when I was reading the book was the, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot as educators about making the library a safe place for our students. And there was one verse where he talked about his gym coach wore rainbow laces. Yes. And that, and he said, the coach never said anything to me, but the fact that he wore rainbow laces in his private school made him realize that it was a safe place. And it was kind of an affirmation that the little things that we do are noticeable and do make a difference. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I I agree. And that spoke to me as well. And I think he even mentioned something about feeling like it was okay to be himself. Mm -hmm. Right. Like, yeah, I loved that. Thanks for bringing that up. I had forgotten that, that he had mentioned that. And I think it's those little things as you're reading, I know I marked multiple places in the book that I was like, Oh my God. And then this part and then this part, but I don't have it with me. So you're just going to have to believe me that it's amazing and fabulous. And then, uh, go read it. Mm -hmm. He has a couple other spoken words, by the way, that I thought were very powerful. I'm not going to mention the name on here, but it is, when you look up this one, you're going to find another one and it is very good as well. That sounds awesome. I love, um, I can't wait to read it and be a part of the cool kid crew that has read this book. So that's really good. I am, I'm going to talk about a book, too, that is realistic fiction, like usual, called We Are Not From Here by Jenny Torres Sanchez. So sometimes I feel like I read a book and I need every single educator I know to read this book. This is one of those books. Dang. Because it, in fact, I've been thinking about that and I want to talk to y'all. Like, I feel like and I don't mean read woke. I mean, not that read woke's not awesome, and I read a lot of read woke, but I really feel like maybe we as a community should start building a list for teachers, a teacher book list, like books that teachers need to read to better know their students, right? And not just like a little bit, but like the ones like 
deep down, you really learn and grow. Like I'm thinking about free lunch or um, this book. And I can think of some others where uh, with fire and high, you know, a girl that's pregnant, but she's a good, she's a good kid. Right. Like right. there are all these stories. And this is one of them that I, I read this and I'm like, I need every teacher to read this. This, if a teacher reads this book, this is going to make a difference in their life. And the reason that I need every teacher to read this book is because, and students, it's going to be really affirming for students, but basically it's a story of three kids that live in Guatemala or, or live in Guatemala at the beginning of the book due to violence, the threat of violence and the literal threat of losing their life in Guatemala. They have to make the very difficult choice to attempt to come to the United States without any adults with them. You know, these are teenagers. It's their journey. It's a story of their journey, which is not pretty and it's sad. It's real. And it's something that, you know, as I was reading this, I realized I bet my students, this is a fictionalized account, but I bet a lot of my students have, have been on that train or tried to get on that train or see somebody fall off the train and be killed by the train, you know, or yeah. um, not have, or being ripped off by a coyote or whatever, you know, right. like these are real things that our real kids have experienced that is really easy to not think about day to day. And so this is a long overdue book. And I'm really glad also uh, to put this book in the hands of the kids who have experienced things like that. There are some books like Lilinia. I'm not saying this is the first book about the challenging immigration experience. This is the rawest book that I've read, the most real. But I think it's really affirming for people who have made that journey to be validated in a book that other people have made that journey and other people have lost their lives on that journey. Sure. So I really can't recommend this book enough. It's not happy, but it's a really good book. And I'm really glad to have it in my wheelhouse of books to recommend to people. It reminds um, me of this book that I have in my library called Beast Rider, and it's it's a very middle school account, but it's about the dangerous train that people hop on to get to the States. And honestly, this is going to show my privilege and how naive I am. I start reading this book, and I was like, what is so dangerous about this train? And that's when I, I kept reading it and was like, oh... These people aren't on the train like how I think of getting on a train. They are on top, on top of yeah. the train. Mm -hmm. And it's something that it was an eye opener and it made me look at things a little bit differently. So I, I think Beast Rider almost sounds like a very middle grade version of, uh, you know, not like they're the same book, but if you're right. thinking of something a little bit more for, you know, the middle grades, like Beast Rider sounds like there's a documentary out there that shows the immigration, pro well, the attempt to immigrate to the United States from Central America, and it follows a few different families as they are trying to make it to the border and what's happened to them, and it is 
extraordinarily difficult to watch. I can't think of the name of it right now. I'm sure if you did a little bit of research, you'd be able to find it uh, pretty quickly. But I watched it with some other educators. We are on a committee here at our school to try to help our, especially our ELL population and how to help other teachers with our ELL population. And just thinking about what some of them may have experienced. And also kind of trying to understand a little bit of where they came from and why a lot of our kids have immigrated, you know, or their families have immigrated. I taught in Guatemala for five weeks. I just went down to volunteer and I was teaching Spanish to a Mayan community. It was a school full of volunteers and they just rotate through year round trying to teach kids whose parents can't afford, they have free public education, but you have to be able to afford the uniform. And the uniform is like 20, 20 US dollars and they can't afford the uniform to send their children to school. So I was teaching kids uh, in the morning. I taught essentially like a kindergarten class, you know, around five, six years old. And then my class after that was any kid that had never been to school. And I had kids up to 12 years old in that class that had never attended a class. They weren't familiar with their letters. They didn't know all their numbers, that kind of thing. The important thing was that in my five weeks there, there were multiple times where we had to call all the children in, close the doors, and stay inside the building because there were people coming around that were stealing children. There were gunfights on the street in regards to trying to steal kids. We didn't have a child go missing from the school, but we had a child that was supposed to come to the school go missing in the time that I was there. And I was only there for five weeks. It couldn't be that it just happened in that time. You know, this is an ongoing issue in the communities. These are, these are small Mayan communities. I was on the side of a volcano <laughs> teaching in a school. Dang. Um, I know, but it's just incredible when you see other realities and I, I know my first day when I arrived and they're like, Oh, we're going to rest, you know, between classes and you're on a dirt floor and there's flies and whatever else. And, and I'm coming from my perspective and how difficult it was for me. And I remember I had bought a cell phone. I called my mom and I was like, I don't know, mom, there's flies. It's dirty. You know, it's like, I don't know what I'm doing. And then by, you know, week two, my mom's like, what are you doing? I'm like laying on the floor. There's only four flies on me today. So I'm doing good, you know, <laughs> and your perspective changes so fast uh, because your reality has changed, you know, and when people are like, I don't understand why they want to come over here. Just, you know, and I was like, I get it. Like we're mad when we can't park in the first five spots at, at Walmart there, you may not have milk for two or three weeks because it's just not being delivered to your area. You know what I mean? They don't have, they don't have a chimney for the smoke to go out of their house. Do you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, it's just our, our perceptions are so completely off. And I think it's so important. Like you said, Laura, that teachers read books like this where it can help to shift your perspective and open your horizons and your eyes to see how other people live and that you know we're not talking about small insecurities or small difficulties these are huge life-threatening situations on a regular basis that would cause you to put yourself in another life-threatening situation to potentially change your life Right. Yeah. It's really important, I think, to point out these kids didn't come here with some grand ambition of becoming an American millionaire or something. They came because they were going to die where they were. Right. They want to um, be safe. 
Exactly. Yeah, it was really good. I really recommend it. And we need to figure out, and of course, librarians, of course, need to read books like this too. But I think we need to put our heads together and think about how we can... Well, we could do it, you know, on the district level, send out an email kind of to everyone and, and have a recommendation, maybe one or two books per month for high school or intermediate and, or do a secondary and an elementary or something like that. But just from our, you know, our department. To and then we could maybe books. do a team's book club. So it could be across campuses. That would be I do fun. like that. I like that idea. Anyway, let's just put our heads together on it. Okay, so I actually, sorry for um, talking too long like usual, but I had to talk about uh, We Were Not From Here because I think it's such an important book, but I have to give a shout out to The Shadows Between Us because um, as you all know, I talk shade about fantasy as often as I possibly can. Uh, something got in me over Thanksgiving. You know, I actually do read books that I don't like. I just don't talk about them that much because there are other important books that I want to talk about. But this book, The Shadow Between Us by Trisha Levenseller was amazing. I loved it. I, I don't think it's going to be a series and I'm really disappointed about it. The long and short of it, and I don't want to spend too much time, but the long and short of it is there's a girl who has, and this is set back some time, you know, there's like kings and queens. It's, you know, obviously called the Oh, it's, there's a king called the Shadow King. Basically, the Shadow King needs to get married, and I you know what, I'll talk about it another time, but I just want to give a shout out to it. What? Well, if it's not going to be You just left us hanging. You just started, and then you were just like, I'll talk about it later. I think what she just said is, please read this over break, y'all, so that we can talk about it next time. Is it like a whole world? Like, are they developing a no. whole different world? No. Okay. No. So no Which high is why I could... Which is why could, the fantasy was pretty light. Would you oh, like to send it to me next? Send the, it to main me. Fa- the main fantasy thing was that the king couldn't, like, touch anybody and then be around them anymore. Oh. Um, because it, like, blocked down his barrier, like, his... Shield? His shield of protection? Exactly. Shield so, of shadows. Yes. Anyway, uh, it was a good book, but how it starts is this girl is like, oh. yeah, I, okay, I'm gonna, I'll be quiet. We'll talk about it another day. So speaking of fantasy, <laughs> this is Shirley. I'm, uh, I'm going to talk about Rebel of Sands, which is another fantasy book. Uh, lately, I've been uh, backing off of realistic fiction. I think I'm just saturated and I need to stop reading books that are hugely meaningful in my personal life <laughs> for a while and take a little break. And I, I do love fantasy. So I've backed off a little bit from the realistic fiction, um, which is really good right now. And, and I'm reading some fantasy. But before I talk about Rebel of the Sands, I want to back up a little bit and I want to do a shout out to Rainbow Rowell because I picked up a book called Wayward Son this year by Rainbow Rowell, which is on the teen top 10 list. That's why I picked it up. I try to always read the teen top 10s. I was reading this book going, I know this is a second. This is not the first book in this series. I know this is not the first book. You know, <laughs> have you ever done that? Picked up a book and went like, I don't have this marked as a series, but this cannot be the first book. <laughs> so that's how it's girls like he was. <laughs> Yeah. And so I went back and figured out that it's actually the second book. And the first book is Carry On. 
Oh, I love that one. <laughs> and so, and things, and Aaron, you said earlier songs, you know, Carry On and Wayward Song, My of course, yeah. is from, yes, <laughs> from songs, but they're very good. And in the process of all of that, I realized actually that Carry On isn't the first book. The real first book is called Fangirl. Oh, I love that one. I didn't and even know I, there was a third one. Yeah, well, Fangirl is the first book. Yeah, yeah. And, and I I loved it. <laughs> I just didn't you? it last night. Yeah. And I love Fangirl. And I've just decided that I love Levi and he's my soulmate. <laughs> you I, love what? I didn't hear Le- you, Shirley. Levi, one of the oh. characters. Levi. Okay. I love Levi. He's my he's my soulmate. And I just need to go find him in real life. And of course I have a husband already, but that's okay. Um, anyway. <laughs> so did you read this whole series backwards? I did. Uh-huh. Awesome. Yeah. Uh-huh. All right. Just checking. I understood yeah. that. That that is what happened. How do you, you recommend, recommend that? that <laughs> is that how we should do this? Hey, Star Wars not. was published in the wrong order too. It's okay, you know. Yeah. I did. I read it all backwards. And and what's interesting is in the first book, I I'm sorry, I'm not talking about this today, but I'll just say this little thing. Fangirl is about a person who is a big fan of um, Simon Snow. Simon Snow is a fictional character. And she talks about the book, fan fiction, all through this book. And she's a fan fiction writer for this Simon Snow guy in his fictional series that's part of the story. And the next book, Carry On, is the Simon Snow book that she was writing in the first book. So it's, I just think it's an interesting concept that she spent the whole first book talking about this fan fiction. And then the second, it's called a companion book. All right. So anyway, just a shout out. I did not read Rainbow Rowell before this whole incident. And I'm kind of sorry I didn't read it back when it was published. It's been a little while. I've loved everything she's done. Yeah. Darcy, you talked about Pumpkinheads one time. Yeah, it was amazing. That graphic novel with someone else. I, I don't remember anyway absolutely that was fantastic really really loved that one and uh i gave it to a student the other day and i was like you're gonna love this <laughs> oh you know what shirley if you love oh what is i'm gonna think of a rainbow row book like that was my favorite one i'm gonna look it up on goodreads and tell you about it because i've loved everything by that author I really like oh, Eleanor voice. and Park. Have you read oh. Eleanor and Park? Oh. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very oh. good. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it was supposed to be made into a movie. And I was like, I'm excited, but you're going to ruin it. So you better do it right. And I don't think it ever happened. So I was yep. worried they about who they were going to cast. Well, and that, that was a, that won some awards, that book. Yes. Okay. So back to Rebel of the Sands by Alwyn Hamilton. And I, I really, really loved everything about this series. Um, I liked the setting, which was unusual. It's set in a desert. It, it reminded me a lot of the Middle East wild, and the Wild West. And there's culture that sort of resembles Middle Eastern culture, but it's a, it's a fantasy, so it's not actually factual. It's, you know, it starts off with this girl who lives in a small town and she really wants to, in the desert, and she really wants to get away. And, you know, I'm, I'm reading it and I'm thinking, okay, here we go again. You know, she's going to be the, the queen of so, you know, so-and-so. Typical story plot for a fantasy. She's going to, she's going to end up being the long lost queen, whatever. But no, that is not what happens. I just want to say, uh, I was very pleasantly surprised. That is not what happens. She does end up leaving the town, um, and I won't get into why because that's a key part of the storyline. 
but she she's off in this desert and she meets a guy named Jin and um, they live in this community that's sort of in a really interesting hidden canyon in the desert which is lush kind of like an oasis but it's a hidden canyon nobody knows about and there's all these magical creatures in the story that are I think very original and different uh, skin walkers and nightmares and things like that which I enjoyed the, the different magical creatures than what you're used to seeing and I just I really really liked it now the funny thing is before I do these podcasts one of the things I always do is pop out to good reason just see what other people said before I put myself on the line out here <laughs> <laughs> you can and, like uh, it if no one else did. Well, the funny thing is, this book did win the Goodreads Choice Award in 2016. So oh, it's, yeah. not a, it's not a brand new publish. But when I was reading some of the people's reviews, they either loved this book or they hated it. Uh, it was really, really funny because it was either five stars or two stars. And, <laughs> you know, this was so boring. And like somebody put a picture of a tumbleweed rolling across. Ooh, that's harsh. Desert. I know, <laughs> very harsh. But uh, I I just have to say, I don't agree with those people. I, it, I started it, it years ago and did not finish it. Just for the yeah, first Yeah, but you book. don't like fantasy. I know, but just so you know, I am one of those. So, from a person who people. does not like fantasy, this was not a good fantasy. Right, but I did try. Okay. And failed. Well, it's true that it has a slow start. You know, it doesn't move as fast as YA books generally move. And that may be the holdup for people who didn't really ever hook into it. They gave up before they got to the good parts. I really like it. And it has a kind of a nice, slow burning romance that goes through it. And it's believable. And um, I like that the characters are very real and flawed. And it's not one of those stories where everybody is really good and emotionally stable. <laughs> you know, um, it's more of a real life sampling of people um, thrown into this. And as I said, the mystical creatures are really awesome as well. So I recommend it. And I know uh, some people didn't, and maybe it's not for everybody, but I certainly did really, really like, especially the first one. It's I wonder if maybe some three. people didn't like it because there aren't like the typical like Middle Earth type fantasy characters. It, it's it's possible because I mean, it is a desert setting. It's very dry. It's not lush. It's not what you typically see in a fantasy world building. It's usually not desert. It's I not. feel like this is not your first fantasy sand people story that you've discussed on this podcast. I think you're right, Erin. I think, there I was think you one. did another one that involved. What was that Mindy? That was all sand and. Maybe. Not, I talk, no, I talked about uh, a graphic, graphic novel, novel that okay. I hated that was Brandon oh. Sanderson. <laughs> I really like Brandon Sanderson. So I thought, oh, I'll like yes, this. Yes, I, I remember did, that. I, I remember. did not like that graphic series, but it was all desert like that, too. Yeah. Okay. I, I think it's so hard sometimes whenever it's a slow start. I, I read a Neil Schusterman book, and I like Neil Schusterman, and it took me probably 50 pages to get into it, and I was like, oh, it's going to be hard for me to give to a student. They have to be uh, a strong reader already, and then I usually give them the warning. Listen, it took me 50 pages, and then I couldn't put it down. Was it so Challenger Deep? No. Oh. No, but I heard about that being that one's, it was hard the to read. case with that, yeah. Was it Chasing Forgiveness? Because I, I loved that one. <laughs> I felt that about American Gods. I'm trying to remember <laughs> if it was Scythe or Dry, one of okay. those it, oh. fantasy, you know, where I felt like it took me a while. 
and then I was committed. But, but you know, not every student is willing to give 50 pages. So it's dry. So it must have been Scythe because I didn't like it. You didn't like Scythe? I felt like dry wasn't a slow, too slow of a start. Right. No, I agree. I think you're right. I think it was Scythe. And then I had to wait on the third book or something. I don't, you know what I mean? Like I read the first two books really quickly or something. So I don't, I didn't. That was Scythe because I remember when you were waiting on the toll and yes. started reading it. Yeah. So it took me a while. It's, that's a hard sell. That can make it difficult. But, you know, it sounds to me like there are some really good qualities to the book that would maybe push me through. I like a good slow burn. <laughs> I like it. And as I said, um, I, I'll give the disclaimer that some of the people on Goodreads hated it. <laughs> but some of them loved it, too. So, you know, I it's like going to be one of your those. perspective, you know, saying that that maybe it's worth it, even if these other people aren't seeing the the beauty of these prose <laughs> well it just confirms not every book is for every person that's for what sure. we know already yeah. and and that's i okay. do love listening to you talk about books that you enjoyed shirley because we don't typically read the same type of story but i have been compelled to pick up and read some of the ones that you've talked about well there was one it was like a dystopian all rights uh, reserved. Yes. And I love that one. Now I, I do like dystopian and stuff like that, but um, fantasy isn't really my thing anymore either. I, I think it's a lot of it's cause I'm a standalone book kind of gal and I can't commit to a series. So um, I don't read a lot of fantasy cause it usually comes in a series, Yeah, but I do every book that you talk about. I'm like, I want to like that. <laughs> <laughs> Again, different readers, different books. That's all yeah. good. And you had that in fantasy, right? I did. See, I have put that in adventure. I put pretty much everything in adventure. If it's super exciting, I'm like, oh, yeah, adventure. Because if, adventure. The, if the action will keep their attention, even if, like you said, it's slow burn, if I can say that it's going to be action throughout the story, maybe even not at the beginning, but there's going to be a lot of excitement in the story, then I just throw it in adventure. And there are some really good epic battles with right? magic in that in that in that book and in the series. So anyway, right? because a lot of times I can sell a book in adventure that I cannot sell in fantasy, because people are like, I don't I don't like fantasy. I don't fantasy means dragons, and I'm not going to go there into the dragon area. So I'm like, okay, okay, that's fine. I put it over here in fantasy, and they'll be. So um, my book today is all these monsters i like the cover it's all silver um and then if you the title of the words um you can see is sort of scaly and then the r is it the, the part of the tail um is sticking out from the letter r and it's by amy tentera and she did the ruin series and then also like a rebooted uh which i never read but i did like the Ruin series, that was really good. People call this book sci-fi? I don't, I don't. Not you don't call it sci-fi? No, not really. Uh, no, I read what it. it. What is it? What? What is it? It's adventure. Everything's <laughs> adventure. Throw it in adventure. Just kidding. But the main character is Clara. She's 17. Um, she's Latinx. Her mom is Latinx and... Her uh, dad is white, he is large and in charge, and really terrible person. And so she cannot wait to get out of the house. 
So he goes on trips for like a couple weeks and the house is kind of okay. Um, her, her brother does his best to protect her. Mom pretends like bad things don't happen in the house, which doesn't work out. And so she hears about a group that is training people to go fight these monsters. And there are monsters on all the continents, but right now they're just in the east part of America, but they're really bad in the UK. There's a hot spot in Paris and in the French countryside. There is a group of people um, headed by a guy who's like, I don't know, 20-ish? Um, and he's training people to go and fight the monsters. She's like, you know what? I put up with this guy right here in this house long enough. This is my time. I haven't, she's only 17. She hasn't even graduated yet. But she's like, I don't care. I'm not going to, you know, be a star student anyway. I can always get like a GED type thing later. I don't care, but I'm out of this house. So she like packs a backpack and then dad throws her into her bedroom, like ropes her into the room. And like, there's this whole moment of like, is she even going to get out of the house? Um, and it's very exciting. She busts out of her bedroom and she jumps over the sofa and she runs down the street with her backpack and yay, she makes it to the bus so that she can go off and fight monsters. That doesn't As you do. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So she leaves the monster to go fight monsters. Right. Oh, so I see what you did there. How that works, right? Yeah. So I like that. She, yeah. So she meets a small crew of people. There are friends that she develops. She's never really had friends before because she didn't really see the point. She doesn't ever want to be on social media because her dad might find out things about her. So she doesn't want to ever be on social media. But there's a, there's a guy on her crew that um, is like a social media genius. She does finally get on a little social media. There's the, the leader of the crew kind of likes her. It's the first person who's ever showed her any attention. So that's kind of exciting. And so you get to see her um, develop in her crew and as um, someone who can defeat these monsters. And she's very good at what she does. And then she just has to keep fighting monsters. So I liked it. It was very exciting. I wouldn't call it horror and I wouldn't call it sci-fi. It's definitely adventure. It sounds like it sounds very adventurous. It was. It was really good. Can I fight with you right now? Yeah. It, it can't it, it can't live in adventure. It has to live in like because there are no monsters. That's not real. You can't put that in adventure. I didn't say realist it's not realistic fiction. But does adventure have adventure. to be realistic? Yeah. Does it? Does uh, it? Dude, do not come <laughs> over to my library. Oh. <laughs> I mean, The Hobbit is an adventure. Uh, no. It's yeah, not. It is. is it realistic adventure or is it's it not in my just library? Adventure. It's not. Because Harry no. Potter is adventurous. I also have That's an adventure. a fantasy because it's fake. It's made up like fakeness. Well, it's <laughs> fiction, so it's all fakeness. That's right. That's true. But if it has ghosts, 
or I have seen a ghost. Yeah, had a ghost in my life multiple times. It goes into paranormal. If oh. it was my story, it'd be realistic because that ghost sat in my front seat with me. Okay, so I, as you can see, there's a little challenge. debate about genre fine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I, I to me. Adventure does not include monsters. Monsters goes over to a different not adventure category. Because um, the monsters are not developed. The the monsters are not robots. But they're not real. I mean, I haven't met one. Are they mutated from... (laughs) um, Is that why it's science fiction? Because it's futuristic mutated animals and that's why they're monsters? No, it's not in the future. It's science fiction because it's not real. It's but why is it in fantasy then? It's like okay. I also have an adventure. All of the amazing Marvel series that I really, really love, like the Loki, Superman, Batman, all those series. I really like those. Catwoman, I like those series a lot. Those are also an adventure because they are very adventurous. Mine are an adventure as well. Ooh, mine might be off the check. Oh, your idea is busted, Laura. It might be. Hold on, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. It does not stand. Now there are been overruled by Catwoman. (laughs) There are a lot of characters that have sci-fi backgrounds, though. Miles Morales, I'm pretty sure, is an adventure. Okay. Pretty awesome. I like him. Do you think those webs are really coming out of his wrist? No. Do you think right, having I need an adventure over to fantasy right away? Thanks for uh, making sure uh, that uh, Spider-Man's that backstory is genreified fantasy. And if Do you're you going to move like Spider-Man, it needs to be to science fiction. Science fiction. <laughs> Spider-Man yeah. has a sci-fi background. Yeah. Okay, sci-fi. Do you guys feel a spider like... that was very real? Is the adventure section, Mindy, is that what you like it because it, it works for your students and staff to find books they want because adventure is a, a topic that they gravitate toward? Yes, they they know that I put lots of things in adventure, so it works out. I think adventure fiction is one of my smaller sections, and it's because I typically put something in, like, realistic fiction, or I'll put it in fantasy fiction or paranormal or whatever before I put it in adventure. And I think maybe it's just because of how broad of a term adventure is, and because I feel like on most bo- in most books, I'm going on some sort of adventure anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unless it's like swashbuckling pirates or something, you know, I'm like, oh, is this an adventure? So I like the idea, though, that maybe I can look at something a little bit differently and say, maybe I can put this one in an adventure. I do have dry in two different locations from uh, Schusterman, and uh-huh. one of them is adventure. So I put things there that I think will um, draw a different reader. Um, if I put them there instead of like I like I said, this will not be sold in fantasy. This isn't right. A fantasy story. There's. I think you'd probably get more readers uh, for fantasy books if it was not called fantasy. Because I think a lot of times they think of magic and wizards yeah. and talking no, animals. There's. That's not a good a point because it before I you know like when Wildcat. the library was genreified. Some books ended up in science fiction, rightfully so, that I would have said, if you asked me, I'd have been like, ugh, I hate science fiction. But because the book is in science fiction, I've now said, oh, maybe I don't hate science fiction. Maybe I just like a certain type of science fiction. Right. Same thing with fantasy. You know, there are some types of fantasy that I really enjoy reading and uh-huh. then some types that aren't really my style. It's the same thing with adventure, I suppose, uh-huh. you know. 
We're all just trying to do our best, putting I these am, books into categories. I'm going to have to rethink adventure. I just never, it just never crossed my mind that fakeness could live there. But I'm going to think It's about- called adventure fiction. <laughs> it's not just pirates anymore. Therefore, fake. That's the new tagline. Hey, the cowboys go there? The cowboy story? Yes, yes. My Wild West stuff is there. Yeah, mine too. James Bond goes an adventure. Yeah, he's an adventure. Yeah. Where do you think Anthony Horowitz lives? Yeah, she got her book, y'all. The Black Flamingo. Where are her Where are her sticky notes, Erin? Look, Black Flamingo just arrived. (laughs) Look at the cover, though, ladies. Y'all show the cover real quick. Look at that. Oh, also the cover of "You Should See Me in a Crown." Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a it. great cover. Oh, and I, I like that, that book. Too. And I'm over books that are written titled after song lyrics, but I liked You Should See Me in a Crown. I listened to I that. do not like that I book cover. That. I think it you looks don't? cheesy. You think it looks too cheesy? Mm-hmm. I, I haven't read the book, but the I read the, the book cover. and I loved it. I just think she's adorable. Maybe I just liked her because I read the book. I, I also remind like- me of like Nick Stone covers. But here's why I liked You Should See Me in a Crown. Um, Years ago, who else went to, like, I think it was my first year here. So it was like six, seven years ago. I went to that Yalsa convention in Austin and a few librarians went and I went to a thing on book covers and it was called whitewashing of book covers. And one of the things that was discussed in there was how often on a book cover, if it's a person of color, of almost any color, a not white person, they are often a drawing or a shadow. And you should see me in a crown has a stock photo of a black girl. Uh, Yeah, it does. Mindy, you're shaking your head no, does it? I didn't know there was a stock photo. I thought there was a girl on the cover. There is a girl, it's a girl. Yeah, is it a drawing? No, it's a picture. It's a photo. Yeah, it's a photo. And I've been very, very aware for the last many years of if a book is about a black person, that black person on the cover is usually a shadow or a drawing. And it's very rarely a photo. I mean, obviously it's not the girl in the story because she doesn't exist because it's a fictional story. But I appreciated that there's a real person on the cover and not a cartoon. looks good, I think. Oh, okay. So it's a drawing of the crown. Like it's like a... Got it. Added on to a photo, a picture of a real person. And she looks happy. Okay. Know. Apparently this is a Billie Eilish song. Is that right? Yes. Okay. So Good I didn't song. know that. So that kind of helps me with uh, my whole, I don't have an aversion, but if I did, I wouldn't have even known. So it's fine. But I like that song. So that's one of the reasons I was drawn to the books. And it's so funny when you can find that you have an aversion to something that you, like somebody mentioned the blue dolphin the other day. And I was like, mm, I can't read it because the word abalone's in there. <laughs> I can't handle that word. Isn't that an awful word? Jill, what do you not like about the cover of You Should See Me in a Crown? You don't think she's cute? Um, I I just, first of all, I am not a cover person like y'all are. If, if y'all notice when y'all talk about covers, I keep my mouth shut. So that's the key to life of getting me to be quiet is don't talk about covers. But I interjected this time because I actually really don't like that cover because it just looks cheesy to me with that drawn crown. Like, I'm, I'm glad that there's a picture of an African-American female on it, but 
I don't know. It just looked cheesy to me. And while we're on the topic of covers, the cover for my book, uh, We Are Not From Here, I hated the cover of that when I picked it up. But you don't talk about covers. I know. (laughs) I know. But actually, at the end, I was going to make fun of myself is what I'm going to do because I I didn't like it. But I also don't put a lot of stock into a cover. But anyway, Mm -hmm. after I read it, I was like, oh, there's like a lot of symbolism on this cover about the book that you wouldn't have known until you read the book. And I thought that was cool because usually there's like, there's some giveaways about the book if you really pay attention to the cover. But, um, and I was like, oh, that's not normal. So anyway, I still am not a cover person. Just ignore my opinions about covers. Okay, I do want to mention though on You Should See Me in a Crown, how beautiful her hair is and they have her hair out and just it looks gorgeous and natural and I love it. Absolutely. To me, it looks like something that you would get on like Instagram with those filters. So when I look Oh, with the the crown looks like a filter added on. I could see that. Yeah. I love that they have her hair natural and and out and beautiful. My we call this free hair day for my girls whenever they get to have their hair out like that. So it looks absolutely beautiful. And when I was looking at that cover, I came across the cover for a book called A Song Below Water by Bethany. It looks like Morrow. Y'all should look up this cover. Absolutely gorgeous. The the hair's like can y'all see that? Look at that. They're like mermaidish, whatever. Absolutely beautiful. Mm, they look like sirens. I that's know. Beautiful. And that's a drawing, but that's a well done drawing. This is what mm-hmm. we're talking about. You can have a cover that has a drawing and it's a, a better representation than what we're getting at middle grade levels for sure. Well, and on that topic, the high school covers are not great either. I do not like the current trend of doing drawings that look old timey. I mean, I, I feel like when I look at some of the new books, even this Rebel Sands that I um, talked about today, it just looks old-fashioned to me, and I wouldn't maybe pick it up necessarily as a reader. But the shiny, know. reflective words and flashy covers. I don't know. We were doing that in your book in 1990. Right. But it's <laughs> yeah. kind of come back. So it is kind of old-timey, but it's going away from... I, I like, like the ooh, metallic. <laughs> yeah, I like the nondescript covers without the pictures on them. I, I do agree. to choose who I want the character to look like with right. the description. You know? I agree. I would gladly serve on a focus group for book covers. I mean, if so would I. Yeah. I think we all would. Yes. Well, maybe not, not Laura. <laughs> hey, um, Aaron, you could be like book cover quality control. That's what your job should be. You I like can't that. make them, but you're willing to be like, and no. that's what I'm going to do. When yes. I retire. Send it back. This you is to get a big veto button. Veto. Denied. Denied. Well, do we want to go ahead and wrap it up and then also mention that our next episode will feature our hundredth title. So we are all going to read and discuss the same book, but also other books as well. So stay tuned for our next episode of Unshush, where we discuss our hundredth title of this podcast.